It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Purple Insider is presented by Oakley. Express yourself. Build a look that's made for you. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collard here and returning to the show for the second time, I believe. Jake Lisko covers the Cincinnati Bengals for the Locked on Bengals podcast to continue our series at looking at random Minnesota Vikings opponents. Jake, great to have you back on the show, man. What's up? I love the premise. Uh, great to be back. Random Minnesota Vikings opponents. So Really good stuff. Good day, though, uh, to have a, a locked-on Bengals host on the show because we just got featured on the Colin Coward show, apparently. So that's kind of neat. Good day for us. How did that happen? What Did he pull uh, – did you have some hot take or something? No, we, we had Brian Callahan on the show. Um, we, we chatted with him, and they pulled some Burrow quote from Callahan. And, you know, we'll take the publicity. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so what I want to talk to you about is, of course, a little bit about the matchup because – Uh, We can really preview a matchup that's going to happen in like the late part of the season right now. That's what's great about June. But really what's interesting to me about Cincinnati is the correlation, I guess, between where the Vikings are now and where Cincinnati was once upon a time with Andy Dalton. And I'd love you to take me back into the Andy Dalton era. And the difference is that Marvin Lewis took Cincinnati kind of all the way through that until the very, very end. And then it went totally downhill under Zach Taylor, whereas the Vikings had this big jump up last year in wins, getting to 13 wins, winning the division and so forth. But I feel like there's still a lot of similarities between kind of what happened in 2015 with Cincinnati, where it was Andy Dalton's best year, probably their best shot to win a Super Bowl with Dalton. There was the injury, but still first round out in the playoffs. I'm sure Bengals fans remember how that happened against Pittsburgh um, in pretty tragic fashion. Two franchises that have a lot of that, by the way, coming real close to Super Bowls. But during the Andy Dalton era, I, I wonder what the feeling was because it seems like there were times where they believed that they were legitimate Super Bowl contenders going into seasons. It never truly materialized and they kind of ended up resting in this 500 type of spot and were only able to break out of it with the tank. Uh, I don't think the Vikings want to tank, but I do wonder what they can learn from what the Bengals went through with Andy Dalton. Never go into a draft with the Marvin Lewis quote which I don't have exactly, but the paraphrase is we're open to drafting every position except for quarterback. Don't ever say that. Don't ever think that if your quarterback is not one of the top three to five quarterbacks in the NFL, you should 
always be open to that, especially when you're drafting early. And I think the Bengals were drafting early when they decided, or Marvin Lewis decided, we're not drafting a quarterback this year. And uh, they they should not have shut themselves off from that possibility. I think that that is certainly a point uh, of emphasis for any team that finds themselves in a similar situation. And there are similarities. Like you said, there's a lot of talent on the Minnesota roster. There's a great wide receiver. There's There was a really good running game. We'll see how that goes this year, I suppose, with the change of running back, although the fungibility of running back is a whole topic unto itself that I'm sure you've covered in significant detail. But there are some big, pretty big differences, too. And, and one of the big differences, you, you mentioned that Marvin Lewis was there the whole time, and that's true. But in 2015, when the Bengals had their best year offensively, Andy Dalton had his best year, all this stuff, Hugh Jackson, whatever you think of him as a head coach, was the offensive coordinator that year. And I think that was his only year or final year of offensive coordinating for the Bengals. And they never really figured it out on offense after that. So they had this great year, a lot of ingenuity that year. This is where they're like splitting out their tackles into bunches and they're going three linemen with, uh, I wish I could remember what they called it, but they, they, they put their tackles out wide. They're doing stuff like that. Andy Dalton's completing more passes than ever. He actually took a bit of a step that year too, in terms of not just statistics, but like how he was playing stylistically uh, in terms of extending plays a little bit more than he had. But he's still Andy Dalton. He got hurt that year, too. I mean, I think there's no way they lose that Pittsburgh game if Andy Dalton's playing quarterback instead of A.J. McCarron, who, you know, history says you should have traded for that third-round pick and not held out for the second-round pick for for Cleveland to unplug their fax machine before sending in the confirmation to the league office, you know? But the the biggest thing is you have to be ready to move on when you have the opportunity to do so. Now, you don't really have an opportunity to do so when you win 13 games. That makes it pretty hard to move on a quarterback, but putting all your eggs in that basket when the quarter level of quarterback play, especially in the AFC is what it is, makes it really hard. Now, the other thing that's different is the NFC right now is like three teams. So does that make it a little bit different? Because once you get to the Super Bowl, anything can happen. We've seen that. I mean, generally the better team wins, but not not always, right? Sometimes, not saying Minnesota would be the worst team, but comparing them to some of the powerhouses in the AFC, I would say probably they are. And and that doesn't mean they can't win a Super Bowl. If they hit it the right way, they come in with the right plan. And, you know, the coaching staff they have put together now under Kevin O'Connell, who had a great first year, is going in the right direction. You know, that, that could come together. But this time next year, you know, if you're talking about Kirk Cousins again, that, that could be a frustrating thing. Yeah, and you go past that 2015 season, and they also lose a bunch of talent as well. I mean, in 2017, Andrew Whitworth goes to Los Angeles, which is, I mean, not a guy who um, everybody knows. I know that our listeners do because we've talked about him enough times uh, in that move and how significant it was because the Vikings were also looking at tackles that offseason. They ended up with Riley Reef. Maybe history is a little different if they end up with Andrew Whitworth. I think he was that valuable to Los Angeles and, of course, was never really replaced uh, in Cincinnati. And also, what like Mohamed Sanu, it seemed like what the Vikings Harvey are Jones, going through this they, they year. They lost two receivers. Yeah, that, that was rough. Right. So what the Vikings have kind of gone through this offseason 
feels like something similar to that, where you had this peak moment in 2015 in Cincinnati, and like that was your shot. And unfortunately, Andy Dalton gets hurt. Who knows if they would have gone deeper into the playoffs? Probably not to the Super Bowl with Andy Dalton, but maybe, uh, but you'll never know. Sorry. Um, and with the Vikings last year, it's like you get the 13 wins. This is the peak Kirk Cousins season, eight fourth quarter comebacks, losing the first round because the defense is the defense and so forth. And you can't recreate that. You can't kind of go back and play it again with Brian Flores as your defensive coordinator instead of Ed Donatel because it maybe does go differently, at least in that first playoff game. And now they lose Adam Thielen, Patrick Peterson, Delvin Tomlinson, Delvin Cook. The roster has basically been taken apart. And so I, I want you to talk to me about that transition period with them hanging on to Andy Dalton, sort of scratching down the mountain or something like the slippery slope there's they slid down and because i've been thinking jake that the vikings need to avoid that like this is the in a way a cautionary tale i know it ends with getting joe burrow so there is that but in a way a cautionary tale of if you hang on too long and the reason not to extend kirk cousins you can end up with just year after year being like oh, well, all we needed to do was just develop this guy or hit on the next draft or whatever, and you just kind of waste your life. And and that's partially true, right? Like if you can draft and develop, then you can stay relevant. But your margin for error is so much thinner when you don't have that guy at quarterback. And what happened, as you say, you know, you, you lose those rookie contracts and your next rookie class doesn't hit. They let Andrew Whitworth go because and Kevin Zeitler, I think, because they think that they've drafted their replacements, and then those guys don't hit. Cedric Abwehi, who's somehow still in the league, I think, and Jake Fisher, who he had a hard thing. I don't hold it against him. Could never get it going in the NFL. Those are your guys who are supposed to be your heirs apparent to tackle. They don't work out. Your offensive line is kind of a mess. Your coaching staff doesn't really get it going. And then after that year, you finish in third, you finish in third, you finish in fourth, you get Marvin Lewis fired. All right. Not great. Zach Taylor comes in two and 14 with Andy Dalton. Kind of tells you a little bit about what Marvin Lewis was doing with the guys that he had. Uh, but at that point, you know, the, the veterans of the team are also past their usefulness as, as stars of the team. Like the core of the team is just aged out. Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, who's still a good player, but isn't a cornerstone defensive player anymore. Adam Jones now doing the Pat McAfee show instead of playing really good cornerback. Um, you know, the, the, the attrition over time when you're just trying to keep it together because you had some success with the core is, is the sunk cost fallacy, whatever cognitive bias exists there that you, you want to keep that group together. But at some point you, you do need to bite the bullet, I think. And, and that's, really hard for any NFL team to do name an NFL team that has seen the writing on the wall, made the decision to tank and gotten right back on the horse the next year. A lot of teams think that they can do it in theory. And and then they miss on their quarterback or they win a game in week 18 and then they don't draft first overall anymore. You, you know, whatever it is, there, there is a lesson there, which is don't hold on to the thing for too long cash out on your veterans when you can get assets because more swings in the draft is good. We know that more picks is good, but how do you make that decision? And then how do you execute that vision? Those things are very, very hard to do even in a a pretty close to ideal world. 
and and we don't live in anything close to an ideal world. So it's tough. Like the Bengals fell into Joe Burrow because they managed to lose an over a very exciting overtime game to Miami. And and that locks up the first overall pick essentially at that point. But so many things can go wrong in that process. Not, I mean, the Bengals would have drafted Justin Herbert. Maybe they'd be fine anyway, right? But it seems like Joe Burrow's the guy the city needed, the guy the team needed, the guy the culture needed. And there's just so many variables. It's, it's so challenging. I do not envy that position. And I understand as a result that that's why general managers try to keep it together when they've had a team that has had success and they have that core in their mind. Maybe that's the way you feel if you're Minnesota for some period of time. But as soon as you have the one year, the Bengals went from 12 and four to six and nine, six, nine and one. Like th- that should probably be it, right? That, that's yeah, that's a pretty clear sign. Well, and I think that they're trying to make it that this year. And then, and because of what you said about the NFC, and you're totally right that uh, they might not go six, nine and one or whatever. They might not have a six win season. They might end up having a nine win season because the NFC is what the NFC is, although they're playing AFC West. So that's going to be uh, a little bit challenging there, but still, I mean, you, you can end up in the playoffs. You could end up winning a division, but still be the equivalent strength of probably that Bengals team that you're talking about. That was six wins because that was a tough division uh, at the time. So Pittsburgh, Baltimore and so forth. So I wonder about how AJ Green complicated these matters with the Bengals timeline, because if there's like a comparison between two wide receivers, if you said, who does Justin Jefferson remind you of? It might be AJ Green, just someone who is so dominant, uh, great athlete, everything else. I mean, I think they, they fit uh, similarly. Both were really good basketball players um, and can kind of do everything right. Short underneath over the top, whatever you need them to do, they can be that guy. And one of the things that I think the Vikings believe is you just can't tank with uh, Justin Jefferson on your team, not only because of him being really good at football, uh, but if you send away Kirk Cousins and you win three games with um, Nick Mullins at the helm and your defense ranks 28th or something, that's going to be probably great and put you in the running for Caleb Williams in the long term, you'll never remember it happened. In fact, I stumbled across an article that was about Zach Taylor and how he was a disaster coach and he had lost the locker room and everything else. And then, you know, like two years later, they're in the Super Bowl with the same coach. So weird how narratives shaped themselves based on the win-loss record. But I, I, I think that there was some of that with Cincinnati of like, we still have A.J. Green. He's still great. And now, like, how do we just tear this all apart until the forces of nature actually sent Cincinnati to the bottom. Yeah. Well, and with Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, you've got the recent PTSD related to another receiver who is really good, I imagine. And, and you know, that's part of it. And, and the whole Twitter meme, uh, my, my enemies speak softly and carry a knife. That's a wide receiver mentality, you know? So wide receiver, right? That's not corner. Yeah, yeah I no, it's, it's wide receiver. receiver. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, so you yeah. know, you always worry about <laughs> personalities with wide receivers i think fairly or not unfairly like maybe justin jefferson isn't the type of guy to do that and and i don't think he is from what i understand about justin jefferson but you know that that's got to be a factor at the same time football is such a, a a team game where the only position that i feel like you can't tank if you have this position a, a superstar at this position is quarterback that's my 
that's a personal opinion. We, we've seen great players around this league play on awful teams every year. You, you see something like this, a Hall of Famer playing on a terrible team. And, you know, maybe they don't get the attention and credit they deserve, but because the team is terrible and nobody's paying attention to them, it's just somebody who's been paying attention to the Bengals for years. This is something that happens to really, really great Bengals players all the time. Nobody knew who Andrew Whitworth was, despite him being right there with Joe Thomas, who gets more accolades, but I don't think was a significantly better or or a uh, statistically significantly better player. Like, I think that Joe Thomas and Andrew Whitworth are pretty much the same quality. Hot take, I guess, for people who are more familiar with Joe Thomas and Andrew Whitworth. But nobody would have even begun to have that thought because of where Andrew Whitworth played. Although, for some reason, it's not like the Browns were, were better, but Joe Thomas got that attention regardless Cincinnati it's because Gino Joe Atkins. Thomas was the only Brown like uh, there yeah. were other Bengals like AJ Green the, the, and, he was the Gino only Atkins Brown and a, a few guys yeah you're right that, that's a fair point um anyway I I don't remember where I was going there except for that I personally would not have that reluctance to try to rebuild because I had a receiver I would try to keep that receiver especially when you're 23 years old, AJ Green came into the league a lot older than Justin Jefferson did. 24 now is Justin Jefferson. Yeah. 24 this season. Yep. So, so you have another six years there, five, six years before you're even worried about hitting an age wall. You, you keep that guy around and you know, you, you've loop him into the conversation and, and you get everybody on the same page because he is a foundation piece. How many foundation pieces are on the Vikings right now? Uh, him and Darisol. Yeah, I was thinking Darisaw, and because the rest of the pieces are a little bit older at this point, right? I mean, or if Ed, or if Ed Ingram for us to really know yet, uh, just yeah. recent draft picks. They, yeah, I mean Harrison Smith, of course, like has been, but is not going to be long term, right? Because because of age there, and Daniel Hunter, you know, you'll you'll see what happens, and you know Ed Ingram, if he takes off, he's young enough that he he could be a guy. Is is Hawkinson extended? Uh, is not yet, but he could be another guy. And I think that's still likely, but I'm not sure that, I mean, if you're, this is a whole separate conversation, but if you're Hawkinson, like maybe you bet on yourself knowing that Kirk's going to throw you the ball a ton um, mm-hmm. and what top tight ends are going to get. But to your point, there's not many, there's not many pieces you could say right now, Brian O'Neill, of course, included for sure are going to be the foundational pieces of the future. You maybe only know three or four guys. I think the issue is that they badly want Justin Jefferson to sign an extension. And Mm -hmm. if you trade away Kirk cousins for Trey Lance or something, or you completely tank, uh, then it becomes harder to convince him maybe to sign that extension. Yeah. You get the extension done first and and have that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. As far to get that deal done, because obviously that, that is a very important piece. And despite quarterback being as important as it is, we've seen the importance of wide receiver, especially lately for teams that don't have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback in particular, insofar as it's very important to your winning chances. And, you know, you see if Jordan, Jordan Addison hits as well. Folks, I know you have heard me talk a ton about my Oakley sunglasses this summer, but the more I wear them, the more I like them. I went on a little summer vacation and spent a ton of time outside in the sun. And let me tell you, before these, I had to squint even when I had sunglasses on. But these matte black prism sapphire polar sunglasses protected my eyes, and I think I looked pretty great as well. I was able to stay outside for hours rather than getting beaten down by the sun. 
done like I have in the past. And now I am confident that when training camp comes around, I will be able to keep both eyes on all the positional battles. Oakley is changing the game, and it's time for you to discover a whole new world of possibilities. They are suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses, allowing to be an extension of yourself, an expression of your personality, more than meets the eye. So make a sunglasses upgrade today at oakley.com. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What is that, you ask? It is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. And if you want to know more, you can do your own research at oakley.com. When you wear Oakley, there is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality as well. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Oakley, express your style and build a look that's made for you. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I would like to talk about Josh Holliver with you, but this is your show, not mine. So so let's let's continue. Uh, let, to, to well, talk. take a take a little side uh well, I mean, this is this is play. just for me that's totally selfish you're oh, listening okay. i'm, I'm sure know about well like how do you feel about the the contract that josh oliver signed for for the amount of money like do you think that that's justifiable for for the kind of offense that the minnesota is going to run yeah i think it's interesting because if you look at the actual deal it's one of those where it's like Was i'm it using money? finger quotes if you're listening three years 21 million, not exactly three years, 21 million, probably won't ever see the third year of that deal. But there's two interesting things to me. One, they ran the ball really ineffectively last year. I think they were 27th in EPA per carry. So they needed some sort of change up. And I I think Josh Oliver graded as the best run blocking tight end in the league. It is with Baltimore. That probably helps the case. But still, I mean, this guy, if you've seen him in person, you know he's going to be able to block people. Oh, yeah. The other part that's interesting to me is that Hawkinson without a contract, I wondered if there was some percentage that was hedging. Like, let's go out and get a guy who might have potential because tight ends – a lot of times they blossom yeah. much later in their careers than other positions. Like maybe we go get another guy who can fill a role, learn the offense. And then if Hawkinson decides that's it, this guy could be a future piece. Uh, but I do think that when you're working with sort of pennies, uh, signing a tight end to that type of deal is maybe not the most efficient thing, unless you're thinking as far as a bigger picture and it doesn't matter. Like you're not trying to spend every dollar to fill every position today like they have in the past. And this is why I like their overall direction to start heading in the way of only people who are going to be a part of this thing in the future. And I think Oliver is kind of part of that discussion, but maybe not as big as the three years, 21 million would make it seem. Time for another first round running back for the Minnesota Vikings (laughs) is my takeaway from that. Uh, I don't think Kwesi's going to do that from what we saw last time. Let me ask you this though, uh, because I trust me, Having covered Gary Kubiak, I am prepared for all the two tight end fullback discussions you want to have. But I 
I wanted to ask you this, and then we'll get into more of like the Bengals, where they are as a team right now. How much different is it when you talk about the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow versus when Andy Dalton was there? Like how much different is your, your life and fans discussions and mentality when you have someone, and, and this is coming from the perspective of a Vikings team that has not had that person since Fran Tarkenton. So like how different is your life with Joe Burrow? I mean, erasure of Dante Culpepper, I think, but just a short window, short window. Yeah, he, he was yeah. definitely the franchise quarterback, but probably only four seasons of that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the difference is pretty tough to put to words. The Bengals went from it. Like, like we talked about an irrelevant team for even when they were good, they went to, they, they won their division or were a wild card team for five straight years when Andy Dalton was their quarterback. And the only year anyone thought anything of them was the year Andy Dalton got hurt in 2015. Like he was a legitimate MVP candidate before he got hurt that year. He, he was putting up some pretty stupid numbers in that offense that year. And uh, that that's the only year anyone really paid attention outside of that. Before that, it was like 2005 Carson Palmer before the ACL. And then the ACL happened and, and that was, didn't end his career obviously he had success elsewhere as well but that was their previous chance to get into that conversation as, as an actual team in the nfl which now you know you hear national people saying man we're talking about the bengals the bills and the chiefs who would have thought you know we would see the day and you know that's the way the nfl goes it's a it's a cyclical high parity league but the difference is pretty immense and for, for the city of Cincinnati, for the energy around the Cincinnati Bengals, for the attention people pay to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, pretty tough to, to put to words. You know, I, I could talk about the podcast numbers and how we went from like doing okay, doing well enough to being one of the most listened to football podcasts in the United States. And, and, I think we do a good job, but I, I'm not taking all the credit for that. I think a lot of that is that they're extremely relevant and Joe Burrow's our quarterback, and there's confidence that literally any year they can get the job done. And, and when you have that attitude and the postseason success that a fan base has been starved of since 1988, since the year I was born, that, that's going to go a long way in building goodwill and and – changing the mentality of a fan base who didn't trust the ownership, didn't trust the front office, didn't care to go to games, didn't want to buy tickets, didn't want to support the product. As soon as you show that investment and, and the Bengals still do need to show that investment, although there is no hesitancy for me to say that that Joe Burrow deal is going to get done. Um, You've seen them spending more in free agency lately. That's built some goodwill as well around Joe Burrow. They're, they're actually trying to capitalize on the rookie contract window and these things. And it makes a huge difference. You cannot overstate the difference when you have the guy. Pretty hard to find the guy, though. And uh, the Bengals have been very lucky to have really good quarterback play for most of their franchise's existence, even though they were not relevant for you know a long time. But it's it's definitely different when you've got a guy like Burrow. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, that with the Vikings, the difference is probably that their fans are always kind of talked into it. 
Uh, I invented a game on the show intentionally around this called Talk Me Into. Feel free to steal it. It's quite fun. You just have your guests talk you into stuff that they don't believe. Uh, and that's what really has been the Vikings history is they go into every season, fans trying to talk themselves into it because there isn't this consistent force of a quarterback that talks you into it. Uh, you, because even when Patrick Mahomes, like last year, loses his top receiver, I'm sure that you were not thinking, oh, well, those Chiefs, who needs to talk about them again? Uh, everybody should have known. And there were some, you know, hot take artists and so forth that wanted to say, oh, they're going to fall off and everything else. But even when you rebuild parts of your roster, major parts of your roster, it's still never rebuilding. Whereas if you're the Vikings, it's what I've kind of compared to as summer flings, where mm -hmm. last year you're having this sort of hot, fun season. It's crazy. Everyone knows it's not really for real, but trying to live in the moment and enjoy it. And then when it comes to an end with heartbreak, you just knew that's where it was going all the time, just like a summer fling. Uh, I've never had one, but uh, I know people who have. So <laughs> it's like the, um, what is that, Billy Madison? Like, but wouldn't it be nice to, you know, or whatever. But uh, you get the point. So that's how it always is. And I, I think that what this new mentality is from Kwesi Adafo Mensa is that they have to chase that. Like they have to chase. And, and he said that in an interview, more or less, the great quarterbacks are going to win the Super Bowl and Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. And, and, and I think that they're making that effort, but going to the bottom is not something that they're necessarily going to do. So it is, it is interesting that there are these correlations and connections and similarities but then Cincinnati just broke that entirely with Joe Burrow and is one of the premier teams. And isn't it funny? And you can speak to this better than anybody. The Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals, when Diggs was traded to Buffalo, go look at the responses. Oh, Buffalo, the dumbest place on earth. Oh, Siberia, who cares? You get the quarterback, then everything changes. People ask me every day about, the ownership is the ownership the problem here. It's like no, really. It's just that you've never had that guy uh, who is the transformative player. Um, so let me ask you this, and we'll transition to the Vikings eventually playing them on the schedule. Uh, why? Why is he so great? I guess it wasn't Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase in college. What is it though? You see every game. I only see in the playoffs and the occasional game. But I'll tell you a quick story. Feel free to steal it. Uh, Mike Zimmer. Uh, former defensive coordinator of the Bengals before the 2021 game against the Bengals, Mike Zimmer, we were having a little side session with him, just me and a couple other reporters. And he was like, guys, I am telling you, I watched the film. Joe Burrow is the next great quarterback in the league. I'm telling you like this was coming off the injury. He's like, this guy does everything. He is so good. And we're concerned about playing him because he's great. But trust me, I told all my friends in Cincinnati, he's going to be the guy. And I was like, oh, wow. I mean, Mike does not act like that about – he hates quarterbacks. Um, so that's just like – an. Uh, and then he was completely right, like instantly completely right about evaluating Joe Burrow. But what is it from your eye that you see that makes him that guy? The intangible thing is definitely part of it. It's hard to quantify, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing it, but he has the insane work ethic and competitiveness that you see from those top-end guys that you've heard about with Brady for years, and that's part of why he draws those Brady comparisons. I do think they carry themselves differently in terms of leadership, in terms of how they interact with other players. Part of that is generational. Tom Brady coming from 
I mean, he's 20 years older. So, you know, of course there are generational differences there. Um, but there are some similarities in terms of their approaches to the game and, and how they came into the league as not having the biggest arms and well, Brady not really is a highly touted prospect at all, but there are some comparisons you can draw there in terms of on field stuff though. I think that mentally he's one of the best processors in the NFL at this point. There might be a couple others in that ballpark. Herbert, maybe one of them. Uh, Mahomes, most of the time, I think, one of them. Without Brady in the league, that's one fewer. There are very few players, I think, that that process as quickly and as much information as Joe Burrow does in that short span of time. Part of that comes, I think, from a, an approach of playing the game uh, like like a point guard, he has that point guard mentality uh, at quarterback that you see with some guys in terms of anticipation, in terms of court vision, translating to field vision. And a big criticism last year of Joe Burrow at the beginning of the year was, you know, relying on go balls, taking too many sacks. Well, defenses took the go ball away because they were terrified of it. I don't know if that speaks to Joe Burrow relying on go balls or just that he's very, very good and incredibly accurate to all parts of the field, which he is. He just needs to be on time. And that is a limiting factor in his game. And that is part of the reason I think that he takes some of the sacks that he takes. Part of the reason is that his offensive line is horrible. And when you look at the actual game, yes, there are quarterback sacks. Every quarterback has quarterback inflicted sacks, but it's hard for me to really blame him for even some of the things that I've seen charted as quarterback responsibility sacks. That being said, if you're Patrick Mahomes or, or Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, you can th- make those throws off platform with all arm and push the ball on a rope 20 yards downfield or get it 60 yards downfield in stride to a receiver who's gotten behind the defense because you're out of the pocket and you're throwing across the field from right numbers to left numbers or some insane crazy throw like that that we see from those guys. Joe Burrow doesn't have that bag or that, that club in his bag, but his arm strength is adequate. It's average at least he's worked on it every year. And I think it's gotten a little bit better, not to the extent that Brady's arm improved over the course of his career, but Brady's arm was improving into, into his forties, which, you know, we're, we're never probably going to understand uh, or have the truth about one of the two. But Burrow hasn't taken that step. But what he did last year is he became a lot more patient in terms of understanding, okay, I just need to check the ball down. I just need to get the ball out in time, give those guys a chance to make a play. And as a result, with teams putting a cap on the offense, playing way more too high, playing a lot more cover too, a lot more Tampa too, which gave the Bengals some issues early in the year, especially because they weren't running the ball very effectively early in the year against those coverages with the light boxes. They go full shotgun halfway through the season, and Joe Burrow just stops taking sacks. He's taking pressure to sack rate. That's a PFF stat that that some of the Burrow haters love to cite. Pressure to sack rate was like, it was bad, like 35% for the first eight games of the season or something. And the second half of the season and into the playoffs, he had one game over 20%, maybe two games over 20% pressure to sack, most of them in the low teens, high high, high single digits. And when you watch those games, 
from a film perspective, not from a charting perspective, not from a quantifiable stat perspective, the amount of times where Joe Burrow is impressively throwing the ball with perfect timing stands out. It pops. You you cannot miss it when you watch the way that he plays quarterback. The ball is 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 impeccably out on time. And and you combine that with his ability to throw with a high degree of accuracy, precision, ball placement, these things that enable his receivers to be really good after the catch as well. And you get a very, very efficient quarterback who's led the league in completion percentage for a couple straight years, who's led the league in PFFs passer grade for a couple of years. And, you know, he's been unlucky. A lot of people like to cite the interception numbers as another criticism because he's corrected the sack thing. For anyone paying attention to the second half of the year last year, he's corrected the sack issue. He doesn't take unnecessary sacks anymore. He still has a bad offensive line, so he's still getting sacked, especially when they lost three starters late in the year and in the playoffs. But I think his pocket navigation and timing was immaculate for the most part late in the year, like 99% I'm talking. What was I saying? What was, what was the other uh, thing? I just about the interceptions, about? right? Yeah, the interceptions. He's had two straight years of, I, I think, a higher number of interceptions than turnover-worthy throws. Again, a PFF <laughs> stat. But like, Something that you expect to regress, like the amount of tip balls for Joe Burrow to turn into interceptions. Something I think that actually bothered him because he's also had an issue with tip passes in the line of scrimmage to the point where this offseason in the offseason program, it was notable that he was working on arm angles. He's working on throwing from off-platform different arm angles and, and making a deliberate effort to do that sort of thing. And that's the kind of guy he is where he's identifying some particular issues in his game every year. Last year it was velocity, throwing off-platform, but he's He's coming off the appendicitis then in training camp and he loses all that time. He loses a bunch of weight and he's behind early in the season. So hopefully, you know, knock on wood, there's a regular off season for him for the first time in his career. And he's able to put all that time and effort that he's put into the little things in his game, the little, uh, the, the margins of quarterback play that really push you over the edge when you're already playing at a high level and you start to see some of those results on the field. I forgot about the appendicitis thing. I mean, considering how he played last year uh, after that is pretty incredible. I think that he has uh, one of the things that Brady was maybe the goat at. Um, it was situational awareness, like just understanding what every single situation calls for. Uh, and then there's like a will to him. Like a, uh, you saw it right away. And I think this is what Mike Zimmer was talking about, where he just has this will to win the football game by all means, no matter what. And sometimes it gets him hurt. Sometimes it gets him sacked and, and hit hard, but there you can feel it. And I don't know what it is about that with quarterbacks, but I, I used to judge quarterbacks entirely by how they played against Mike Zimmer's defenses, because it, you would see it in like a Drew Brees, where there's kind of like a taller Drew Brees to Joe Burrow, where there's just this will to that guy where it's never over. Even in the Minneapolis Miracle game, even in the 2019 playoff game, Drew Brees was behind and fought his way back to tie the game in, in 19. He took the lead with uh, less than a minute left in, in the Minneapolis Miracle game by fighting his way back from down 17. It's like with Mahomes, with Burrow, it's not over. It's never over, no matter what is going on, if this man has a chance. And that's something, you know, the Vikings saw in Aaron Rodgers, who is kind of similar as well to Joe Burrow. And there's just no good way statistically and charting and grading and whatever 
to make that point. I think there, about there him. is there is one great stat for this, and and this was this started with Warren Sharp, and then somebody extrapolated. Jake Circus extrapolated on this. So, in 2022, the Bengals had drives in the fourth quarter when trailing by a touchdown eight times, and they scored a touchdown in five of those eight drives. And uh, Warren Sharp's stat was percentage of drives that scored points when trailing in the second half in 2022. The Cincinnati Bengals is 68%. The next best team in the situation, not that they were trailing in the fourth quarter very often, was the Kansas City Chiefs at 59%. So 9% difference. The next best Buffalo at 53%. So you drop another 6% before you get to number three. And the difference between Cincinnati 68 and the third place Buffalo Bills 53 is the same as like, you know, from, from three to, cause what is that? That's 15 from three all the way down to Dallas. I, I can't even count how many teams that is 10, 11. So the Bengals really, a step above in terms of converting fourth, second half scoring opportunities when they're trailing. And you've seen this in numerous games, especially against the chiefs where they've come back from, you know, you see a team down 20 to Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, that game's over 99% of the time, except for when the Bengals are playing the chiefs. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to describe it is just when you have a feeling like you have to watch all four quarters, no matter what. And Vikings fans got a little taste of that in the regular season last year, for sure, just because of how insane every single game was. Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to go through like every matchup or anything with you. It's way, way too uh, far away from this football game to start having that discussion. But I guess I would ask this. If you are power ranking the entire NFL, because you know what? There's a few people out there who power rank football teams. I don't know if you've noticed by being online, but Never they do this. Uh, Cincinnati's got to be like number two. Is that where you would put them in the entire NFL? Cause I think that I would, and this is ranking stuff week on my written side of things. So I, I just did teams with the best weapons. And I think I had Cincinnati as the second best weapons in the league. They got a great case for number one, little spotty on the running game. Um, so maybe not quite, but behind, behind two, may I ask? I had, I had Miami as number one, mm. and I'm also assuming they're going to get Delvin Cook. Um, I guess we'll see if he goes there. But, I mean, 3,000 yards between their top two wide receivers. I, I had to go with them um, just for skill position players. But Cincinnati, I think, was number two. Yeah, I would probably argue with you about that, but we don't need to do that today. I mean, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Raheem Mostert, pretty good running back, averages over five yards a carry for his career. Oh, he's San Francisco, for I half of ahead. his games Two. every year. Barrios, uh, Braxton Barrios is nobody at slot receiver compared to Tyler Boyd, who's one of the better slots in the NFL. Uh, who's Durham Smythe? Smith? I don't even <laughs> yeah. know how to pronounce okay. his name. So they're, I, mean, I agree with you that their, their number three wide receiver is certainly not as good, but – I, I'm doing it also. I'm also waiting like, and, and Jamar guys. Chase and, and Jamar, Jamar Chase and deserves it. T Higgins are deserves right it there well. with Tyreek. And uh, anyway, we don't need to get into it. I, I would, I would respectfully disagree because I think the top two receivers are very close. And then the tiebreakers, the rest of the positions for me, all of them lean Bengals mostly because, and I like the stable of running backs that Miami has. I just don't think they stay healthy. See, I don't, I just, I think that leaning on Mixon at 3.8 yards a carrier, whatever, not is great. Just, not great. So I, I was, I was giving them don't some care about running there. the ball. To be fair, like the Bengals are going to throw the ball six hundred times this year. 
I mean, really, there's there's four teams in terms of weapons. There's four teams that are just way better than everyone else, and they yeah. could all be number one. Like the the Dolphins, the 49ers, Cincinnati, and Philly could all probably yeah. be number. Sure. One. You can make arguments in in those directions. So anyway, second yeah. best team in so football. Anyway. Uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. It's challenging. I, I hate power rankings. Uh, I think you kind of alluded to your opinion about power rankings as you were describing them. I think you can make arguments for Philly. You can make arguments for Kansas City. You can make arguments for Buffalo. The Bengals dismantled Buffalo. They didn't have Von Bell in that game. Or Von Miller, sorry, in that game. He's really good. That makes a difference. But the Bengals were also down three starting offensive linemen. And uh, there was still like no pressure to, to really talk about. For, for the Bills in that game. So hard for me to put the Bills ahead of the Bengals, even though they did probably do a little bit more in the offseason. The Bengals keep together, though, a team that was right there with three backup offensive linemen against the hobbled Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. And, and they lost the game because a tackle who this year will probably be their third right tackle, third tackle at either position off the bench, Akeem Adenogy. Given the, given the roster right now, he would be third at either tackle spot, was trying to block Chris Jones on a need to have it play. He couldn't do it. And it's reminiscent of Quentin Spain trying to block Aaron Donald on a need to have it play and couldn't quite do it. Uh, but the rest of the team outside of safety is intact, and they, they kind of planned for safety with drafting Dax Hill in the first round last year and Jordan Battle in the third round this year, I think, is, is too smart to not get on the field right away, but they also signed Nick Scott, so they have veterans there. There's probably a bit of a step down, but how important is a bit of a step down in safety versus improving your offensive line by signing Orlando Brown and moving Jonah Williams to right tackle? I think Jonah will be better this year than he was last year. I think he played through injury quite a bit last year, and despite changing position, the guy has every motivation to have a career year and a contract year. So if you get a better offensive line in front of Joe Burrow and you return the same weapons, and for whatever you say about Joe Mixon, if he's the Bengals running back this year, the Bengals did have one of the most efficient running games in the league last year, despite the yards per carry, the success rate stuff and the EPA per play stuff was among the most efficient in the NFL, especially in the second half of the year when they abandoned their under center game, became a shotgun team. And now this year, they're going to be a shotgun team again, and they're going to have a full offseason to marry up their shotgun run game with their passing game and make some of those things look more similar and more difficult to defend. Yeah, it's pretty tough. I do like the Eagles. So I think it's Kansas City and then you you sort it out between the Eagles and and the Bengals just because the Eagles' trench play is bananas. Both sides of the ball. The the trench play, the starters, the depth is absolutely nuts, and that's a lot for me to get over. But if 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 you need to throw the ball, I definitely would rather have Burrow than Hurts. So how, how much closer does that get them? I don't know. That, that's a pretty difficult tie for me to break for those two teams. Yeah, there's kind of um, there's kind of like a top three or four in the league, and then there's a drop-off to a next level. It, it, when we're talking about power rankings, yes. You, my joke is the power rankings are the standings. Like, yeah, because most, for, for almost, most people, it's like, who won Almost every week? person's power rankings that I read or whatever is mostly just the standings with two or three teams that are shuffled around. Uh, but those, you know, Philadelphia, 
Kansas City, Cincinnati, those are the teams that should be up at the top, even if they get off to slow starts or anything like that, because we know the strength. Um, usually what I like to do is at the end of a show with a random Vikings opponent, a reporter or a podcaster, is uh, ask something about the history of the team or a trivia or whatever. But I'll just ask this, because I don't want to take up uh, too much time with having you guess every old uh, Bengals quarterback. Who in your mind is the most underappreciated Bengal during the dark time. So I was in Buffalo before I moved to Minnesota and like Fred Jackson is a guy that most people haven't heard of, but he was a really good player for them. And so many players just went, you know, Aaron Schobel, unless you played Madden, you just didn't even know who these guys were. Who is that guy? Or are those guys from the dark ages of the Bengals that people should appreciate more? People that follow the Bengals closely will know him very well. And to the credit of Hall of Fame voters, they've gotten on board a little bit more in the last couple of years, but it's Willie Anderson, and I, and I don't think it's close. I think he's one of the best right tackles ever. I think he was probably the best right tackle of his era when he was playing and one of the best tackles in the game, period, when he was playing at a time when you couldn't be an all-pro unless you played left tackle. And, and Willie Anderson managed that, managed that feat was – incredibly accomplished as a pass blocker and a run blocker. I, I think incredibly underappreciated. I think that he's, he's the easy standout. There are some other guys for sure. Take Takeo spikes who ends up leaving the team. Uh, Brian Simmons they had some good linebackers in that period of time and, and not necessarily the dark ages because the Bengals were out of the dark ages at this point, but Leon Hall is another one who, was one of the best corners in the game in his time and continued to be an elite corner in the NFL after an Achilles rupture. And he had a second Achilles rupture and then he kind of slowed down. He's a little bit older for that second one, but Leon Hall was an incredible, incredible player, great athlete, great in the slot, was an inside outside corner who would kick into the slot in nickel. One of the best screen defenders I've ever seen. That's another guy that, that I think deserves a shout out as an underappreciated guy for the Bengals in the pre because maybe the dark ages for the Bengals is just pre Joe Burrow for most people who aren't in Cincinnati. And I think that, uh, I think that Leon Hall qualifies for them. Post boomer Esiason pre Joe Burrow. You can make an argument. I, I think that they're not in the dark ages with some of the Andy Dalton years because they were a like contender and, yeah. and really like a stable year in and year out. They're going to be a good team for a few years there but you could still argue players off that team. For me, it's Carl Pickens. Carl Pickens was a great wide receiver, an elite wide receiver who just never had a quarterback to throw him the football. And it's a shame. Um, I, Corey Dillon got a lot of credit during those dark ages years for the big numbers he put up. Fantasy football has just started to get rolling, but Pickens was before fantasy football. I think just by enough, because I think of him as being early, early nineties. And then you know, having his prime in, in kind of the mid nineties. Yeah. I think he was one of the best receivers in the NFL. I used to trade for him on Madden all the time. If you go back and watch some of those old games, he's really good. He's doing his job, but like Dave Klingler is not. <laughs> well, yeah. They, they had him one year with Jeff Blake and uh, yes, right. Carl Pickens, yes. I think set the t- I think it still stands the team receiving touchdown record, 17 touchdowns in 1995 on 1,234 yards, 99 catches. He had a, he had a couple of years in there that were really nice. I think they were with Blake. Uh, Blake's deep ball 
really synergizing with Carl Pickens. Yeah, it was Blake for both of both 95 and 96, which were probably Pickens' best career years, 94 in that mix as well. But yeah, Pickens, great receiver in that time. Not the best ending, I think, for him in Cincinnati, um, mm. but but definitely an underappreciated player. Yeah, maybe and Jeff Blake would have been one of those guys that couple. it's sort of in the all if he played today team would be Jeff Blake with that bazooka arm uh, that he had going down the field. So anyway, uh, well, it's exciting for you to have a team that every year goes into the season legitimately believing could be the year to win the Super Bowl. But great insight on the team's timeline and kind of relating that to the Vikings. So I really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll get together again when this game actually happens, um, which is a really long time from now, but a really fun conversation nonetheless. Uh, Follow Jake, Locked on Bengals. I assume your Twitter is just your name, Jake uh, Lisco, which is L-I-S-C-O-W. So you're a great follow on Twitter. Oh, I was going to ask you. I'm sorry. I know this has gone on a long time, but you're a chess fan as well. And uh, uh, yeah, I, we, I, I, we've tweeted about chess back and forth. I remember. This. Yes, yes, we have. And so the uh, the NF, they just had NFL players. Former Viking was uh, Chaz Surratt was in mm-hmm. this thing. Yeah, what is your favorite chess opening? Oh man, I, I mean, I, I vaguely know the English, so <laughs> it's a good one. It's a classic. That's it. I, I, I or sorry, the London, which is different from. Oh the English. yeah, the London, of course. Yeah, no, I, I realize. Um, that now that more people are playing chess, like the average, I think, skill level of chess players has increased. And uh, I I have not, I have not studied anything. And I think that now like your average thousand rated chess player has like spent a few hours of their lives, at least like studying the fried liver or something to try to just <laughs> yeah. win a rook out of the opening. But yeah, no, the, the, the blitz chance thing, the chess.com does is really fun. Shinobi Abuzi is a big chess guy. And honestly, like watching the way he lost, I don't know who cares about this, but like blundering back rank mate, when you're like a 1400 yes. and you're cleanly winning, is a pretty brutal way to go. The second game, Drew Tranquil, who's really good in his own right, like a, a well, I guess Cheeto's more of like a 1300, clean 1300, 1300, 1350. And, and Drew Tranquil was like a 1400. And so there, there's a bit of a gap there. But uh, Cheeto had, he, he missed Maiden one with White in the second game. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a one move blunder that, that lost him the first game. So, uh, tough way to go, but you know, it's all for charity and, and Cheeto and, and Drew Tranquil, a new Kansas city Bengals rivalry piece that they can play against each other on, uh, what is it? When do they play new year's, new year's Eve. So they can play together in December and, and do some trash talking. They seem eager to do some trash talking over the board. Yeah. Just over the last couple of years, I, I've watched a lot of YouTube on chess uh, and some of the personalities and everything else. And it's a really fun world. And yeah. Okay. Well, this is a pretty nerdy podcast, no matter what. So finishing by talking about <laughs> chess and, and everything else is probably a good way to go. But uh, you have no idea of people who are not chess fans when someone hangs back rank mate, which means that you just are you're like in this attack and you think that you're winning and he's just like going after it. And then all of a sudden just one move and the game is over. I don't even know a sports comparison to this. It would just be like if you gave up a touchdown and then they return the kick for 
or the whatever. closest get, the closest like, thing is probably I don't know. like I don't know what you're describe. lining up for a game winning field goal or something, and you get the field goal blocked in, in a tie game, and the field goal is blocked in return for a touchdown. Right, like the Appalachian State thing. That's what yeah. it would kind of be like. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, so anyway, well, it's fun to, to see you tweet about that because there aren't that many people, even with its growth uh, yeah. that I followed, that there's crossover. So anyway, well, you do great stuff. Great to have you on and uh, we'll get together again soon. Thanks, Jake. Sounds good.